Good morning. It is Kale and Company for this Tuesday on WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region and 101.9 FM in the Manchester area and beyond and streaming worldwide around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. And joining us this morning on this edition of Kale & Company is Neil Levesque, the Executive Director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College. Neil, good morning to you. Good morning. It is always a delight to have you with us. I, I saw you on uh, TV last night and uh, once again uh, early this morning, so I, I know you have some uh, new numbers for us to share, but uh, but first, Neil, I need to know what's uh, what's going on with you in the in the great outdoors. Well, two Alaska trips this this summer, so two of them. Yeah. Wow. So it's been some good fishing, and looking forward to some more. And uh, but the tuna season has been bad because the people have been catching all the tuna off Chatham. And so the price here is it's not even worth really fishing and keeping. And so uh, they've shut the season. They're reopening it September. So it's that that side of things hasn't been that great. But, um, but you know, if you're if you're into hunting and fishing and things like that, you sort of adapt and there's always something else to do. So how was the fishing in Alaska? Uh, well, you know, it's the best in the world. It's unbelievable. And you can go there for a week and it's four to 500 fish week Whoa. with all kinds of trout species, salmon species, everything. And so it's, you know, and then you come back to New Hampshire and you go up north and you fish all day for, you know, a 10 inch rainbow. And it's, it's tough to come back to New Hampshire and fish, but, um, but you know, I, I if if you love fishing, Alaska is the place to be. I, I guess so. And and speaking of Alaska, when you bring up Alaska and great fishing, well, uh, fishing for a, a congressional bid is uh, former Governor Sarah Palin. Yes, you know it's funny because when I was up there, I didn't. I drove through uh, her hometown, and and obviously most of Alaska's population is in Anchorage and Wasilla, which is where she's from, and I never saw one of her signs. Really? Which is really strange, you know, because you always, you know, you pop into a state, and if you're in politics, you always sort of say, oh, look, look who's running for yeah. this or running for that. And uh, I didn't see one of her signs. So it's interesting, but yes, there's an election there today, um, and uh, I would expect that she's going to win that. Um, so it'll be interesting. She, her life is quite changed, I guess, from when she was a vice presidential nominee. Um, I don't think she's married anymore. Um, there's other sort of, I think they had a reality television show, which I know that you're familiar with, Ken. Of you course, and I, of course. You know, we we're, we're big into the reality offers. stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at any rate, it should be interesting. And of course, the other uh, uh, item that for folks are watching on the political scene today is the uh, Wyoming primary involving uh, Liz Cheney. Absolutely. So most polling shows that she's just not going to win this and there's no way around it. Um, but she's certainly uh, putting up the fight. And I would expect that in the Trump party, because it really is sort of a Trump party at this point, uh, someone who opposed the former president and voted to impeach him and now wants to investigate 
what happened on January 6th is not going to win a Republican primary. And uh, But I would expect, and I think she's going to be uh, keeping her name nationally in politics. So she may lose today, but I think she's going to, and she has appeal across the country in a certain segment for what she's done. And I think that she'll probably uh, try to leverage that into maybe national office. And uh, Lisa Murkowski uh, of Alaska, the uh, senator who also opposed uh, Donald Trump uh, or, or voted to impeach him, I should say, uh, she is uh, in a primary today as well. Yeah, so Alaska is kind of weird, although it's a great fishing place. It's a strange state. Some of these states have strange rules that, I mean, even somebody like me in politics doesn't understand, but... The top four people go on to the general election. I expect that she's going to make that, but she voted to impeach the former president as well. Uh, but I would expect that she's going to win uh, enough votes to make that, that general election ballot. And at that point, uh, you know, in a general election, she'll have a definitely a much better uh, chance at keeping her seat than, than Liz Cheney in a Republican primary, uh, where it's winner take all. Yeah. O'Neill, uh, I understand from uh, reliable sources that uh, the New Hampshire Institute of Politics is going to be uh, hosting a very distinguished guest uh, tomorrow for uh, Politics and Eggs. Yeah, absolutely. We have former Vice President Mike Pence here tomorrow, so I'll be introducing him in the morning. Um, it's sold out, so, uh, you know, it's a lot of interest in his appearance, and I think he's going up north afterwards. Uh, so we're very excited about that. Senate form, uh, sitting Senator Tom Cotton, another sort of person that's mentioned in the presidential field, uh, is also going to be in the state. So New Hampshire's primary is alive and well. We're seeing a lot of activity. And there's feelers, too, on the Democratic side. You know, you're hearing sort of chatter because there's been a lot of news stories and things like that about uh, whether or not the president's going to run. Uh, and so there's a lot of interest in that subject because, of course, if he were to be challenged or if he were to not run, um, this is where it's all going to start, uh, despite the fact that party bosses may not uh, decide that they want to have a primary here in New Hampshire, we're going to have the primary, and candidates will participate here. And this is how this primary really got going, and, uh, and, and so I expect that we could have uh, a fight on both sides in 2024. And uh, that would make it extremely compelling uh, for, uh, well, everybody involved, people in the state, but uh, national media and uh, the entire country would be focused on New Hampshire. So now, how's it going to work, Neil? I mean, there are other states that, you know, say that they want to challenge New Hampshire for the first in the nation primary, uh, including Delaware. But uh, what, what, is, what is our status? I mean, how uh, are we going to stay first in the nation? Well, we're going to stay first in the nation because we have a law that says that we're going to do that. So we're going to conduct our state election when we want to conduct it. Um, but certainly having a national party like the Democratic Party say, well, you know, there's been some they may or may not say New Hampshire should go first. And they're putting this off until after the election. I said last week that that's not good news, because obviously if it was good news, they would say it. Um Keep in mind, they don't like New Hampshire. If you're a Washington Party insider, you don't like New Hampshire. You don't want to have the potential for uh, the, the candidate to whom 
uh, you're going to fund and to whom uh, you you back could be challenged. They don't like democracy like that. That's the nature of parties. They want to keep it together. And so um, there's a lot of interest in sort of moving into a state. Let me just say right off the bat, South Carolina is a state that goes after us. And if you get one person, uh, Clyburn's endorsement, yeah. you're most likely going to win that state. And uh, so that's no good. I mean, what if it, what if New Hampshire just went? To, you know, if you if you just said, okay, well, whoever Maggie Hassan endorses, we're going to vote for. I mean, it doesn't work that way. It's absurd. But in other states, it's like that. Or who the union tells you to. So if it's Las Vegas, Nevada, and you're working in a in a union, and the union says, okay, we're endorsing this candidate, and you got to vote that way. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. So. Uh, there are people that want to take this away from New Hampshire, and um, I remain um, solidly convinced that we're going to keep this primary um, and and on both sides of the aisle. Well, uh, you know that's you know, you pointed out what happened uh, last time around, where uh, Joe Biden finished fifth in the uh, New Hampshire primary, and uh, Mr. Clyburn endorsed uh, Joe Biden for the South Carolina primary, and. Uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, you have a candidate like Pete Buttigieg, who here in New Hampshire did very, very well. Uh, he campaigned very hard. People sort of figured out that they liked him, and he was smart, which has continued to this day. He's in the cabinet now. Vice Pre- um, President Biden obviously picked him, thought the same of him. Um, and here's a candidate. Um, who New Hampshire voters said, you know what, let's give him a chance. And I think he's a good candidate. And so you'd never have that happen in another state. I mean, take, for example, California. You can't go to California for people to judge. It's never worked. Neil Levesque is with us. Neil, uh, hang in there. We have uh, lots to talk about on this Tuesday morning as we approach the uh, New Hampshire uh, primary coming up on uh, September the 13th. And I know you have some numbers regarding that, but we'll get to those as we take a quick break here on WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester and vicinity, and nhtalkradio.com. We'll take a break. Back with more. Neil Levesque with us. He is the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College. Stay right where you are. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company live here for a Tuesday. Neil Levesque is with us, the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College. Now, we mentioned the status of the New Hampshire primary. What about the Iowa caucuses? Is that uh, is that going to happen again, Neil? Well, remember, those are are uh, the caucuses are run by the parties. And I think that they had enough uh, of a disaster last time where uh, it is probably uh, history, frankly. Really? But, you know, a lot of this was there. You know, they we get criticized in New Hampshire because we do things the old school way and town by town. We run a state election. You know, they were bringing in iPads and, you know, all this fancy stuff, uh, you know, oh, you know, this is the wave of the future and everything like that. Remember, all of that failed. So, yeah. yeah. You know, hey, do we know yet who won? 
I mean, really? I mean, I don't think that it was ever resolved, was it, to anybody's satisfaction anyway? I believe Mayor Pete won. Did he? You know, it's funny, yeah. because it was one of these things where it was like a week later or two weeks later, and of course that just hurt him even more. Um, but, you know, these caucuses are very different than a state-run primary, as we do here. But there's a lot of people, you know, President Biden came in fifth. He didn't really campaign here. He didn't engage voters. He didn't take questions from voters. And it's not that I'm being partisan. Um, it's pretty factual. If you look at what he did, he, his campaign said this is he's not particularly talented at this. And it's risky if he gets a question from a member of the press or from, a mem- you know, anyone. And so they sheltered him from that. And it was a tactical move, which worked out well in a COVID-type situation where eventually he campaigned from his basement. But now, you know, his numbers are are pretty low. And a lot of that could be attributed, could be attributed to the economy and things like that. But it also could be attributed to the fact that his communication skills are not um, that good. And, and I think we're seeing the results of that. Yeah, I mean, during the last campaign cycle, presidential campaign cycle, we saw, as you pointed out, Biden's uh, campaign pretty much uh, run from his basement, while Donald Trump was uh, virtually everywhere he could possibly find a podium. I mean, it was co- completely different, but uh, in the end, uh, Joe Biden did uh, did prevail, obviously. And uh, we, we shall see what uh, what uh, ton, uh, Donald Trump has to bring uh, in the uh, upcoming uh, weeks and months as as we get ready for the uh, for the New Hampshire primary first in the nation. As you mentioned, uh, Tom Cotton, the Arkansas senator, uh, has been in the state recently, maybe still is in the state. And uh, you, you have to think that he's going to be one of the, the prominent Republicans uh, running in 2024. Well, he is all over some of the conservative networks like Fox. I mean, it's almost every single day he's up there. He's a very motivated person, very talented, knows his stuff. Um, And uh, I I would expect that he's going to be in that mix. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, whether or not if Trump runs, who else says, well, Trump's going to run, so I'm not going to run, which is. You know, you never know what's going to happen, particularly amongst people with this kind of age group. You know, where uh, are they going to are they going to succeed um, and get through, you know, a vigorous campaign that takes place for two hours or two years? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So so what impact? uh, I mean, and a a lot of people feel that uh, former President Trump uh, will uh, give it another go. There are all indications uh, that would suggest that. But uh, what impact, Neil, do you think the the January 6th hearings that have been nationally televised on uh, a major over-the-air networks and uh, and the raid uh, at uh, Mar-a-Lago, what impact, uh, if any, is that going to have on Trump's decision to run for 2024? Well, it's hard to go into his brain on this, but with other candidates who have lost elections, and he may not think he lost an election, but 
I think deep down inside, if you look at some of the the books and the evidence that comes out on January 6th, if you think that you lost, it's hard to, to turn around and, and run again. It really is. And um, there may be a lot of motivating factors there, but he could get in, he could get out, he could say, well, I'm, he could never say that he's not running, right? And do like a Ross Perot where he's in, he's out. So I don't know. But the polling data indicates that even if he were to run, he hasn't made more ground since leaving and potentially would lose to a Democrat, even Joe Biden, who's who's weak in the polls, which is pretty amazing. So the other polling data that's interesting is, is that a lot of people say um, that they would like a, somebody else. No Biden, no Hillary, no, <laughs> no Trump, but they want somebody different. Get some fresh and, blood in there. And, and, and that could be an interesting situation because you have DeSantis, who's down there, who's very popular. Yep. Um, and he has a message that's similar to Trump's without a lot of the controversy. Uh, he's from a popular state, and a lot of Republicans like him. So we'll see whether or not there's friction there between those two candidates, and I suspect that there would be. So, you know, you have Trump, and we still don't know about him, and uh, nobody has really announced uh, as yet for uh, the Republican uh, primary, but uh, you have to figure Ron DeSantis, the Florida, Florida governor, is uh, certainly a front-runner, and Tom Cotton, the senator from Arkansas. Uh, what about uh, former Vice President uh, Mike Pence? Do you see him potentially uh, throwing his hat into the ring? I do. I think that you're right in the fact that we haven't seen people announce, and a lot of that has to do with the fundraising rules and rules regarding your campaigns with the Federal Election Commission. But it also, uh, you know, it's early. It's before the midterms. But if you look at some of these people on their trips to states and their messaging and everything there is lining up that they're going to run for president. And so uh, I would expect that we're going to have a big field. Uh, of Republican candidates, and maybe even again, just to mention, you'd have a big field of Democrats because there's no sort of bench uh, on the Democratic side. Do you see uh, 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 Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, as uh, one of the, if President Biden does not decide to run for a second term, do you see uh, uh, Buttigieg as one of the, the leading contenders? I do. I think he would lead in states like New Hampshire, but I think he would have a tough time in states like South Carolina. I think that um, although it's 2022 and we have gay marriage and things like that, I think that um, socially, I think there's a lot of people that would probably not vote for him based on that issue. Um, I think we've seen other people who have run for president who have had difficulties based upon their religion. You know, if you were Mormon like Vic Romney or Catholic um, JFK, you know, we've seen people uh, who have been rejected, not based upon how they believe what they talk about on issues, but on their personal backgrounds. And I think that it is, um, even even in the Repu- Democratic primaries, I think it's a it's a it's a tough threshold um, in some states, not in New Hampshire. 
Now, speaking of the Republican side of the ledger, you mentioned uh, Mitt Romney. Any chance that he would give it another go, or is that uh, ship sailed? Uh, well, I think that for all these people who always crave to be president of the United States, they always hold out the hope. But I think that the reality is, and I think that Liz Cheney is going to figure this out, and already has figured this out, which is this is a, this is a Trump party. And um, it would be very hard for someone who is not sort of talking in the way that a DeSantis is talking uh, to win the Republican nomination. It's just the way things are right now. Uh, so you could be the most conservative Republican fiscally. You could be anti-tax, free markets, you know, you name it. You just go right down the list of Republican, traditional Republican conservative ideals and and not win a primary if uh, you're at odds with the former president. Now, if Donald Trump decides not to run and President Biden uh, decides not to run, uh, I mean, we'd have a very unique situation here in New Hampshire. When was the last time uh, that we had anything like this where you could have, uh, you know, any number of Republican candidates and, you know, really any number of uh, Democratic candidates as well? Well, jogging my memory, 2008 was like that for sure. And um, I remember because there was a debate here at St. Anthem, and all the Democrats were supposed to exit the debate on the left side of the stage, and all the Republicans were supposed to enter on the right side. And, of course, they all screwed it up and all intertwined uh, up on stage in the middle of the break halfway through. And uh, I have a great picture of it, and it's hanging in front of me right now at the <laughs> well, Neil, I promise we'll get to the numbers in the next segment. But there's always a lot of things to talk about when Neil Levesque is on the show, and we're always glad to have him with us. Neil, uh, stand by. Neil, the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College, back with the latest uh, St. Anselm uh, polling results, survey results, coming up right after the break on WKXL. 1450 AM, 1039 FM, 101.9 FM in the Manchester area, and nhtalkradio.com. Don't you dare touch that dial. Kale and Company Live continues on this Tuesday, and if you missed any part of the show with Neil Levesque, It'll be repeated tonight at 7 o'clock here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond, and nhtalkradio.com, the uh, St. Anselm College Survey Center at the New Hampshire Institute of Politics has just released some uh, new numbers, and uh, Neil, why don't you uh, tell us about them? Uh, So 1,900 voters in New Hampshire were were tested. Uh, we have a complex formula for how we test and how we do our polling. And um, basically, from March, when our last poll was, it's kind of a lot of things haven't changed. A lot of money's being spent in politics, and a lot of issues have come come and arisen: gas prices, more inflation, interest rate, things like that. But the truth is, is that people believe that the country is is on the wrong track. Sixty-eight percent of voters believe the country's on the wrong track, that's that's poison if you're an incumbent. Uh, and if you go into people like President Biden's job approval, approval rating, um, 
He's at 42% positive and 57% negative. So that is uh, not a good number for him. And what happens is it translates to people in his party who are incumbents here in New Hampshire. So in the big race, Maggie Hassan is at 44 positive, 51 negative. And she's down two points from where she was in March, which is rather interesting because a lot of money, everybody knows a lot of money is being spent on her behalf, and yet she drops slightly in the poll. Um, and likewise, on the on the Republican ballot, they call it the generic ballot. So you ask people, are you likely to vote um, when you vote for Congress, are you, you likely to vote for the Republicans or the Democrats? And Republicans still have a three-point lead. Uh, they had a six-point lead in January, and now they had uh, a three-point lead now. So when you have a country that's so divided, if there's a three-point lead in a generic ballot like that, it's significant. Mm. Um, that being said, uh, the issue of abortion is a great motivating factor for 58% of people who uh, claim that they are pro-choice. So the people who essentially um, believe that the court made the wrong decision in the Dodds case are 58% are very motivated to vote on that issue. So that bodes well for people who are on the ballot who are pro-choice, like Senator Hassan. So that's good news for her. Um, and then we did some matchups as well. And and tell us about those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes when I just talk for a long time, Ken, I just... <laughs> I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm taking notes. <laughs> um, so the U.S. Senate race is the real thing that a lot of people are focusing here in New Hampshire, but not only in New Hampshire, but nationally because we have a 50-50 Senate. And that, as I just mentioned, Senator Hassan, uh, her popularity numbers are 44-51. So she's upside down. That's what they call it in politics. Mm -hmm. So she's vulnerable. And so in this case, the, who the Republican challenger will be and how strong they are is very important. And in this case, we've seen that, that Don Bolduck, who ran last time, uh, is the preferred choice of 32%, followed by the former or the current Senate President, Chuck Morris, with 16%. So as you can see, Bolduck has a, a twice the lead that Morris has. And remember, there's about three weeks left to go. Uh, not a lot of time to create those contrasts and to sort of unsurp this sort of lead that Bolduck has. And Bolduck is an interesting character because he's got an interesting background. Uh, he's run before, but he said some controversial things that would make him um, vulnerable, most likely, in a general election. And in addition to that, he hasn't raised a lot of money. So he doesn't have necessarily the resources to go head-to-head -head with Hassan in the fall. So this is an interesting take because it could be that the Republican choice to go up against Hassan um, could be somebody who is not necessarily uh, what, what a lot of political consultants would think of as the strongest candidate necessarily. Now, he obviously would disagree with that. Um, but there are statements out there that he's made that I think – they would quickly put into 30-second ads and, and target him and, and sort of put him in a box. We've seen this before where incumbents can be weak, 
But the challenger comes out of the primary much, much weaker. Um, and I suspect that that could be what happens here. Um, so so at, the, then, at the moment, anyway, Don, Bolduck has uh, a, a rather with three weeks to go, uh, three weeks to the day to go until the primary uh, has a pretty substantial lead over uh, the runner-up in that race, uh, Chuck Morse. So that's, 32 to 16. That's correct. Yep. And there are some pivot points here uh, that could change that. And I'll just throw out the first one. All right. If Donald Trump comes into New Hampshire and endorses one of these these candidates, that's going to have a significant impact because I think a lot of people probably say, I don't know who that is, but I know who Trump is and I like him and I'm going to vote for whoever he says. So that could have an impact. There's also uh, two major debates that are going to take place uh, and actually three major debates that are going to take place uh, between now and the, and the uh, primary on September the 13th. Notable is the Granite State debates, which WMUR holds. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could have an impact, too, because a lot of people watch those debates as they're making up their minds as they go into September 13th. And uh, the, the rest of the candidates right now are in signal, single digits, correct? That's correct. And yeah. so some of them have tremendous amounts of resources, yeah. um, supposedly anyway. And um, whatever they plan to do with those resources, it, now is the time to utilize them. You know, you, what happens a lot of times is for candidates, we've, we've seen this where they're running around and they're beating all these people. They're going to all these things and they're going to all this stuff and then they think they're going to win. And then the, the election is held and they lose and they say, what just happened? But a lot of the times, if you're on the outside, like we are, looking at these candidates with research like we have, um, it's not necessarily a surprise to us. Um, if if the Republican challengers to Hassan do not start creating contrast to Don Bolduck and, and explaining uh, to voters why they're the better choice, um, he'll, he'll win the primary. And... Yeah, and and he he does. I'm, uh, you know, he does lack resources, as you said. I mean, I have not seen any uh, TV commercials for Don Bolduck. I have seen some now for Chuck Morse, uh, but none for Bolduck. And Bolduck has said some things that the Democrats are going to immediately put out front. Um, I I think she's going to run a lot on the abortion issue, but I think she's going to she'll take the Don Bolduck, you know, said some some horrific things about Governor Sununu, uh, untrue, horrific things that I don't even want to repeat. Um, they're so bad. And, you know, he's at the top of the ticket for the party. So it's a very awkward situation. And they're going to pull that out. Um, he said some things on Fox News about boots on the ground in Ukraine and and. He claims that he was referring to something other than what other people claim. and But he's been accused of saying that basically he wanted to put American soldiers into Ukraine. Um, he he denies that. Um, but these are the kinds of things that politics is not necessarily a fair business. And explaining your way out of things doesn't necessarily help. Now, he's a former general. So I suspect that what they're going to do is they'll hit him where he's the strongest, which would be that subject, and go right after him on that um, immediately. So 
um, it's going to be interesting. And it's, sometimes it's hard to walk back statements that you've made on certain subjects um, and, and whether or not you're palatable to the general election electorate. Keep in mind that two years ago, uh, we had a big fight in which Bullduck was in, engaged and Donald Trump endorsed Corky Mesner right. yeah. um, for the U.S. Senate. And Shaheen, um, although she's popular, she was not that, that strong at the time. Um, she completely defeated him. Uh, I think he got 34%, which is basically um, base level for a Republican. And that, you know, went right down to defeat. So it's going to be interesting to see whether or not the Republicans nominate someone who can take on a candidate in the general election. Neil Levesque, uh, can you stay with us one more segment? Yep. All right. Neil is with us, the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College, talking about uh, their recent uh, St. Anselm College survey at uh, New Hampshire Institute of Politics. And we'll get to the uh, races for the House of Representatives uh, coming up right after this break. It is Kale and Company live on this Tuesday, WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com. Stay with us. Kale and Company live on this Tuesday, chatting with Neil Levesque, the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College. One programming note, uh, Brigadier General Don Bolduck will join us on Thursday here on uh, Kale and Company. So uh, we look forward to that. Uh, Neil, let's talk about the uh, races for the House of Representatives in uh, Washington. We have uh, uh, the incumbent in District 1, Chris Pappas. The incumbent in District 2, Annie Custer. Are either one of those candidates vulnerable? Absolutely. So with the entire uh, incumbent ballot, so the incumbents here in the two congressional seats, they're certainly vulnerable due to the wrong track number, Biden's numbers, and other factors like the economy. And so uh, any of these challengers could potentially um, switch these seats to Republican. And in the first congressional district, uh, we see the 2020 nominee, Matt Mowers. So he ran last time. Uh, He has a a lead of 25% of Republican primary voters, followed by Carolyn Levitt with 21%. And so you have a, a lot of people running in this field, but you really sort of see that there's, there's a, it's becoming a two-person race. She's within striking distance of Mowers. Um, and uh, this is going to be an interesting thing to watch. Um, then you have, uh, in the second CD, you have Burns at 12%, uh, the mayor of Keene, George Hansel, at 10%, Lily Tang Williams at 8%. So those are all very small numbers, you'll notice. Yep. And that's because they're very well, uh, they're not well known. And so you have the potential here where it's it's a lean Democratic seat, so there's more Democratic registrations there would be in the first CD, um, the first congressional district. But uh, here you have Republican candidates who are not well known. Going going into a primary three three weeks away, so uh, 
you know, it's like you can't just guarantee when an incumbent is weak that they're going to necessarily lose their election because the other side uh, isn't doing what they need to do in order to capture the hearts of voters. Right, right. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the low numbers for the uh, three Republican candidates in, in District 2, and, uh, you know, they just don't have uh, the, the name recognition. So uh, that, that certainly works in, in favor of, uh, of Annie Custer. Absolutely. Yeah. So here you have someone, she's never polled well, but to her credit, she wins elections. But she's never polled very well. And uh, the district is sort of strange. It really is. You've got Hanover in there. So you've got a lot of uh, very liberal uh, factions, if you will. Some college towns, Henniker being one, Plymouth, Keene. Um, but on the other hand, um, Republicans have not been able to really capture this seat, which is interesting because from 1912 until, if I get this right, 1990, that seat was held by a Republican. That's a long time stretch before a guy named Dick Sweat, who won from Bow, New Hampshire. Yeah. Um, I think it was 92 or 90 that he won and flipped that seat. Now, you know, people say, well, that seat, people in Washington look at these seats nationally. They just kind of look at the numbers and say, well, that, you know, Republican can't win that seat. It's hopeless. Uh, they look at the second CD a lot of times, and they say that. Uh, but it's interesting that um, moderate Republicans, such as uh, former Congressman Charlie Bass, held that seat. Um, uh, Judd Gray held that seat. Jim Cleveland. These are all names from the past. Some of some of your listeners are probably saying, "Oh, I remember that guy." <laughs> hey, no, no chance for a comeback for Charlie Bass, huh? <laughs> it's too late for this this time around, right? <laughs> uh, for those that don't know, uh, Neil uh, worked with uh, Charlie Bass uh, during his time uh, in Congress, and uh, and 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 so Neil, in going back to uh, to District One, uh, a great head to head, neck and neck battle here between uh, Mowers and uh, Levitt. Uh, are you surprised that? Uh, that Miss Levitt, uh, you know, a, a newcomer to the fray, has, has done as well as she has? I know you know her well. Um, I'm not surprised. Um, I do know her well. She is my former student, and uh, she went to work uh, here in New Hampshire. She was Fritz Weatherby's producer um, wow. while she was a student here, and then she... Went to work in the White Trump White House. She worked directly for Kaylee McInerney, the White House press secretary. Yeah, she's pretty high ranking at the end. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she knows how to message and knows how to communicate. She's very talented at that, and so I'm not surprised. Um, I think that um, you know what's interesting with Mowers is that because he ran last time, he I, and it's not fair. He's probably viewed as more of the the establishment figure, if you will, which is rather interesting. Um, we had a debate here. He did very well. He's a very eloquent guy. Um, they're both very talented people. Um, I think this is going to be a real race to watch because Congressman Pappas uh, is, is very good communicator, very, very well known in Manchester, New Hampshire, where it really matters. And, uh, and, and he knows the issues. So I think, and he's young. They're all young. 
Um, it's for me, by the way, I'm 52. It's like getting pulled over by a state trooper who you can't be old enough to be a state trooper, but, um, it's, you know, when you see a candidate who used to be your former student, uh, you know, or, or somebody in their thirties, it's just amazing to think, but they're motivated. They love our country, all of them, the Democrats and Republicans, and they're patriotic people. And they want to uh, do what's right, in their opinion, uh, for the country. And so it, it makes it interesting to watch. And, of course, uh, Gail Huff-Brown is, is also uh, in that race, although not polling especially well, certainly not as well as Mowers and, and Levitt. Uh, and all three of them uh, have ties to the Trump administration. So if, if Donald Trump came in uh, before the primary on September 13th and and endorsed one of those candidates, uh, do you think it would make uh, make the difference? Oh, absolutely. I think it would definitely make the difference. Um, but, you know, from what I understand, I don't think the 757's coming into Manchester <laughs> Airport anytime soon. It could. <laughs> I think the big thing, if Trump's going to fly up here from Mar-a-Lago, he's probably going to endorse in the U.S. Senate race. And I don't even know if that's going to happen. So it'll be interesting to see... Um, I think, you know, in the past races, in the past few weeks where Trump endorsed candidates have won, he's come in and the sort of last minute and endorsed people who were probably going to win anyway. And so it's negligible as to whether or not it was the endorsement or whether or not it was the candidate who was all along communicating the same message as president, former president Trump. So, um, but he gets the credit at the end because, of course, she's endorsed the winner. Um, and I do think that he he wants to be seen as somebody who's winning uh, with these endorsements. So it'll be interesting if he were to come in. I don't, I don't think he'll come in and endorse somebody um, who's not sort of leading in the polls at this point. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think uh, uh, Carolyn Levitt is, is doing as well a, as she is because she espouses pretty much the same platform as former President Trump? Well, I think to some degree, both her and Matt Mowers both do that. Yeah. Both come from the administration. Um, I, I, I don't know what the secret sauce is for her, but she certainly is... Uh, for first-time candidate, she's certainly making a mark for herself, and she is striking distance here. With three weeks left to go, I mean, it's kind of a jump ball, and yeah. um, and and she could definitely pull this off. So it'll be interesting. Now, all she needs is an appearance here on uh, Kale and Company Live. I think that might put her over the top, uh, quite possibly. But uh, <laughs> anything else stand out uh, in in the poll and the in the survey, Neil? Well, the fact that the economy and inflation is the most important issue at 28% for voters, um, that, that's probably not a surprise to anybody who's listening to this, um, followed by government spending and taxes at 13%. So if you take that 28% and plus add it to 13 and say fiscal issues in general, your pocketbook matters to, you know, uh, low 40, 42% of voters, that's significant. And so remember that uh, anybody who's running probably needs to address those issues. Um, and again, on abortion, where 58% of pro-choice voters report being more motivated to vote. Um, 
that is is going to have an impact. And you see it right now. I mean, uh, there's a negative ad going up against the top three candidates for the U.S. Senate right now uh, on behalf of someone supporting Hassan, and uh, it targets abortion. So they know that that's a winner, and you're going to see a lot about that in the next three months. Neil Levesque, as always, uh, very insightful and uh, always a treat to have you on. And uh, we appreciate it. Thanks for your time today. Thank you, Ken. Great having uh, great having this conversation. All right, then. We'll talk soon. Neil Levesque, Executive Director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College. And uh, always uh, a great uh, a great insight into what's going on uh, locally and nationally, nationally in the world of politics. And there's a lot of it uh, going on these days, right up until primary day on September the 13th. That'll do it for this edition of Kale & Company. Thanks so much for joining us here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond, and always streaming live at nhtalkradio.com.